Hi, everyone. My name is Penny Cook, and I'm the president and CEO of Pioneer Network. I'd like to welcome you to the latest edition of Pioneer Network's Listen, Learn, Explore podcast. We feature experts in person-directed care and culture change and explore timely topics. Today, I'm pleased to introduce episode 11 of Listen, Learn, Explore, Engagement and Senior Living. Where are we now and what does the future hold? With my guest, Don Worsley. Don is a certified activity consultant and the owner of Don on the Horizon LLC, which is an education and consulting company in Baltimore, Maryland. She does program development and consulting and serves as a regional clinical specialist. In addition to that, she's on the board, or she's the board president of NCAP, the National Certification Council for Activity Professionals. Dawn, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Penny. Always good to see you. You too. You know, we met a few years ago, just so everyone knows, when I joined the board of directors for NCAP, which was such an honor for me. And I have to tell you, Don, I have learned so much from you and our fellow board members in the past few years. And so I'm delighted to be able to sort of drill down and ask you some more questions today. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, part of uh, being an activity professional uh, you know, our missions align so much with that person-centered engagement of what Pioneer Network provides and endorses and supports. So it's it's natural that you and I and our organizations uh, are able to um, elicit change and share our wisdom and our knowledge and our tidbits with each other. It's so true. It's so true. I think that's one of the reasons that I was attracted to NCAP is because I know that our vision, our mission, and our just philosophy is aligned. So now, Don, you have vast experience working with older adults and in long-term care, as have I do. You know, when we look back on how many years we've been doing this, how have you seen the world of engagement change during your years of working in this field? Well, I'll tell you, I know we're going to talk a lot about COVID, um, and I think COVID really is what progressed and kind of put a, a spotlight on how important social engagement is to the people that we serve in our communities. And engagement has always been the foundation of the activity profession. You know, especially when we're looking at the number of people that are aging, 10,000 people each day reaching retirement age, that along with technology, um, we're experiencing like this constant evolution of engagement. Uh, we're also, you know, seeking more and more evidence that person-centered care is essential for healthy aging. And it's nice that uh, I think that the world, the in the healthcare industry, whether it's long-term care or assisted living, uh, is finally catching up to what Pioneer Network and the activity professionals have been, you know, talking about all along. Is that we really need to look at what does the individual or the person desire? How do they wish to live their life, and how do we modify that experience individually for them? so that we get out of this mold of this pre-aligned medical model of care where breakfast is always at eight and you know medicines are always at nine, but really allowing people to age and to live regardless of where they lay their head at, at night. I love that you said that regardless of where they lay their head at night, because I think you're so right. You know, we, we've always, 
traditionally had this approach and it's been a more cookie cutter approach. You know, whether we're talking about the way we deliver clinical care, whether we're talking about it's the way we provide opportunities for engagement. I mean, I'm, I'm a former ombudsman, you know, I was taught that one of the things I was supposed to go into a nursing home and look for is the activities calendar right. and make sure the activities calendar was full. Now, obviously this was years ago and it, it pleases me that we're moving away from that. And I really think that you hit the nail on the head. COVID has definitely impact that change as well. Can you talk more about that? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, in my role during the day as an activity director and a, a corporate liaison to one of the largest private skilled nursing communities within Maryland, uh, you know, the benefit of, of being in the field directly during COVID, as well as my experience as president and working with the National Certification Council of Activity Professionals and our professional association, NAP, we were able to have our finger on the pulse all throughout the entire country so that we knew when things were happening in the West Coast in New York, it was only going to be a matter of time before it hit Maryland, specifically where our communities are located. And I think quickly, activity professionals needed to adjust within hours of getting a message from a governor or the health department that groups were no longer going to be permissible. Uh, communal dining, volunteers weren't allowed to be in the, in the building anymore, families weren't allowed to be in the building. And for most cases, in, in many communities, when COVID was active and rampant in the communities in which the activity professionals served, uh, getting access, just direct access to the resident was difficult. So imagine going from groups where you had 20 people or 15 people in a room to now you've got 160, 140 individuals in their room, most likely behind a closed door when COVID was active. And how do you engage and how do you, you, you keep them thriving? So it certainly was the catalyst to the evolution of activities and engagement. And even though activity professionals didn't make the cut under the formal definition of essential worker, that federal mandate of 679 to deliver an activities program to maintain physical, mental, psychosocial well-being of each person, that remained a requirement in every care community. Also, you combat that with the CDC trying to grasp their hands around a global pandemic in a um, institutional living situation as nursing homes you know, had been considered, uh, infection control in also then was changing. I can remember in the midst back in April through June and we would have CDC guidance or local health department guidance at 8 a.m. and at 9 a.m. they were changing either the PPE that was required or the, the how much engagement, how many times could that door be open for you to have human contact with our residents? So um, for activity professionals, uh, I think for it was detrimental that the pandemic happened. Uh, but I also try to find what did we learn? What were what were the what was the rainbow out of all of this rainstorm that we learned? 
And that was that one-on-one engagement became the essential part of helping our residents survive. And for those communities that had Wi-Fi access, that had technology access, along with the COVID grants, civil money penalty grants that allowed communities to ask for technology, that's the way we survived. So for example, I know for in the activity world, you know, we've talked about this, um, we were able to connect our current cable system with a laptop and an HDMI cord, and we were able to designate a cable channel and live broadcast all of the activities into the residents' rooms directly. In a post-COVID world, when we started opening back up for activities, group communal activities again, uh, I remember sitting down with residents and we were talking about just what was how wonderful it was to be together in a room. And we hadn't done that for almost a year. We weren't allowed to do that. And it pleased me that even though it was very difficult and they talked about their struggles, it, I, I felt like I was sitting um, listening to a post-war story. If you were to hear some of the residents talk about what it was like for them to live through COVID in a community. And at the same time, they got to hear from us what our struggles were. Our biggest fear was, were, were we making that connection? And for our residents, what I appreciated most was they said, you know what the best thing was? We could turn on channel 26 and we saw familiar faces. You guys talk to us every day. So, you know, uh, just very quickly, I have a, a, a gentleman who, um, prior to COVID, he was just very independent. He liked being in his room. He liked doing his own thing. He was very active. And that just made him happy. Um, I, I probably had been, I would say, 12, 13 months that he really came to formalized activities every single day in a group format. Well, when we started broadcasting them in his room, he would call down to my office and he would now make suggestions. So he was so actively involved. And that's something that we're continuing. You know, I think a lot of activity professionals are taking what they've learned from COVID and they're integrating them in a post-COVID world because we realize we've got to keep that person-centered, uh, individual type of care. So it's really changed us. And we're still evolving to this day, um, each day. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sure, especially now when we're seeing surges and things like that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think we know that this isn't over and, you know, it is still part of the process. But I think that what you said was so interesting because we know that although COVID was so horrific, we did have these and we do have these silver linings. And we have these learnings that we've we've taken from COVID. And I've always hoped that we just make sure we learn and actually use that information as we move forward. And I think one of those things in the world of activity professionals and just overall well-being for residents is that that individual engagement is so important. And you know, we've talked about this for years, but COVID. I mean, it, it left us no choice in a sense, you know? And so now I think that we're, we are trying to figure out what that balance is. But I also know, and I know that you know this too, is that we still have nursing homes and I would say even assisted living communities that are still very traditional. And they may welcome this opportunity to go back to a more rigid 
activities calendar and really just look at those more one size fits all, you know, group engagement activities. How can we influence and support those homes to really make that change to individualized engagement? Do you have any tips? So I'll tell you, I can just give you some examples of some great successes during COVID that I think the things that uh, that all communities need to look at is how did they deal with the pandemic on an individualized basis? For most of us as activity professionals, we were creating like activity boxes where we would put all of their supplies for the week or independent things that they enjoyed. And every box was different because every individual is different. being able to do that, being able to do smaller groups when they were just able to come out in the hallways. Uh, the more traditional nursing homes really, I, I believe, you know, had a concept of everyone needs to be corralled in one room and everyone does things together. COVID forced us that we want to keep things on units. We want to keep them smaller. We want to keep them social distanced. So I think there is a balance if we can break out of that mold. And understand that for many communities, did they did an amazing job within the confines of COVID. Now we've got a little bit more freedom, but those are those small groups, those impromptu card games or sing-alongs or the activity carts, the hallway carts that you know activity directors put together to bring life and energy and, and morale back in the community. I think that's where we need to kind of look at. And we do need to um, not just get comfortable with the fact with great, we've re- we reopened, we can fill our rooms back up with 30 individuals but really kind of taking our time. We made it work during COVID and we did that through teamwork. And I think that for, at least for many of the professionals that we talked to, prior to COVID, uh, many communities worked in silos. So the nursing department did this and activities did this and social work did this, but in the midst of a crisis, we came together. And it was about the resident. What does the resident need? Not just physically, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And we work together as a team. So I think those are the biggest reflection points that communities can look back on is how did we work together as a team and how do we continue to bring that forward? I love that you brought that up because I think it's one of the things that I have thought about and learned so much over my years of working um, in the world, especially of culture change, is that engagement is not just the responsibility of activity professionals. You know, it's it's not possible for, you know, one, two, even three people, you know, to, to truly engage every single resident in your community. It really does have to be that team approach. And you're right, I think that's another silver lining. And I hope we don't go back to having it just be sort of one department's quote unquote responsibility. Because I know that you're passionate, for instance, about this concept of the social model of care. And when I think about the social model of care, it means that it's it's really the entire community that is responsible. It includes residents as well, 
You know, it's not just, you know, staff provide engagement for residents, but residents being involved in, you know, what they want to do in developing programs. What does the social model of care mean to you? So I'll have to tell you, I think our biggest challenge is for activity directors or activity professionals to be able to articulate to the directors of nursing and the administrators the true therapeutic value of life enriching activities. That while yes, we have fun and yes, we have birthday parties and luau's and and bingo, that the therapeutic benefits of a life enriching person-centered care activity uh, definitely translates over to holistically a much better care of the, the resident or the person themselves. And, you know, in a free market approach to healthcare in the U.S., sometimes, you know, we have more focused on the medical model and all of the I's that needed to be dotted and the T's that needed to be crossed for whether regulatory compliance or financial reimbursement. And we, we also, and, and I think a lot of those changes in the um, rules of participation that started in 17, 18, and 19 really start now emphasizing quality of life as being so important. So rather than emphasizing on treatment, we need to look at holistically how does the individual benefit and thrive no matter where they're living at. Um, you know, we have also shown that life enriching activities produce positive therapeutic outcomes. So through that, and, and this is where I'm most passionate about, is helping activity professionals understand their role in decreasing behavioral expressions, decreasing uh, anxiety, helping address trauma, even preventing and decreasing wounds, believe it or not, just by getting, you know, people up out of bed, getting them moving. It, this will reduce cost and it also improves the quality of life. And I think you're right, as you said, when we look at what does the social model of care truly mean, doesn't mean bingo and birthday parties. Yes, that's a small part of it, but it's that holistic individual looking at that individual as a whole and treating each person um, and to their, so that they can live their highest quality of life. Again, regardless whether you're an assisted living whether you're in a skilled nursing facility or whether you're or a community or whether you're still at home, um, aging in place at home. It's, it's such a good point. I mean, when I think of even the, the word well-being, you know, to me, that encompasses so many aspects of my life. And it, it, it not only encompasses the physical aspects, but it encompasses, you know, my mental health, my psychosocial health, my spiritual health, all of those things. And I think that we know in our heads that mind-body connection, but it doesn't always play out that way in the world of senior living and long-term care. And I think of this resident that I used to work with, I was consulting at a nursing home and she was a resident who just experienced horrible chronic pain. She was, she was a resident that, you know, went to every pain specialist in the area, you know, went to every pain clinic. It was amazing though, when she was engaged in activities, especially social activities with her family, she did not experience those levels of pain. 
And it was one of those things that taught me so much, again, about that mind-body connection. And one of the things that that home specifically worked on is really, she was not a real uh, social person with friends. And and so, but she so appreciated the one-on-one visits. She was a one-on-one person, whether it's having a cup of tea and some cookies with someone in the afternoon, but it was truly amazing how that changed her life. And she was not focused as much on the pain that she was experiencing when she was engaged in life. And I think that's what we need to look at so much more now. Oh, I, I could, there could be story after story after story that I could share about pain management and that not those non-pharmaceutical approaches to some of the medical issues that a person has. And as you talked about pain, I'll talk about quickly too. One, uh, we had a gentleman who uh, years ago, a couple of years ago had been in a fire and he was severely burned. There was a lot of wound care that needed to be done. And, um, that what, what you were just talking about, that mind over body, you know, they pre-medicate and, and they've taken the medical interventions as far as they could. And I'm very fortunate to work within communities that value the activity professional and understand the benefits and, and all of the things that we can do to work alongside the wound team or the, the nursing team. And part of my job was to go in And him and I, we had created this vision board and we created a a, a memory book of just all different family photos, but him, he would look at me directly in the eye and we would have a conversation and we would play his specific songs. and, And there were specific things that we would talk about that was related to him while the wound care team was performing the treatments that they had. And that is what brought him solace. And that is what got uh, the, him able to get over the pain because we rediverted his attention. Instead of being so focused on what bandage was coming off, now we're talking about a song or we're looking at the baby pictures of his daughter and he's talking about, you know, she was just getting ready to walk and, and all of those, those memories. And the second thing I want to talk about, activities and and as a non-pharmaceutical pain management, we had a, uh, right before the pandemic, a nursing, uh, nurse practitioner student, this was her final intern project that she was doing before she graduated. And we were looking at the effects of music to decrease pain as a non-pharmaceutical intervention. So we looked at a couple residents uh, that had chronic pain and we individualized their music, uh, MP3 players or MP4 players specific to that type of music, playing it three times a day. And the nursing nurse practitioner did assessments, pain scales prior to and after. And the results of that astounded our nursing team so much that now when they've identified someone with chronic pain, they come to activities and say, okay, this person has chronic pain before we start increasing pain medication and opiates, introducing opiates, let's work together and see if we can decrease it. It's the biggest, the, the, the one thing that I'm most proud about is that now we're starting, the nursing staff are starting to see from an activity professionals, what is capable when we work together 
for the resident. That's a great story. And I think a great illustration of what the future needs to be. There is no doubt about it. And I know that as the president of the board of NCAP, the National Certification Council for Activity Professionals, that that really is what you're trying to do. I mean, you have a platform now to actually move that forward, especially because you're the certification body or we're the certification body. Can you talk more about the mission of NCAP? Oh, I will. So I have been so honored to um, serve on this board and especially uh, the last two terms as board president. And one of the things that uh, makes me appreciate NCAP and, you know, Peter Illig, who is our uh, legal counsel and CEO, he joined us in 2017. And that's where we really started rebranding and looking at our mission and try and, and moving it forward. And one of the things that NCAP did in response to this need was to adjust our national certification standards and update the certification curriculum. So that way we're really meeting the needs of the individual and we're making sure that we get the education and the certification to the individuals that are working in the homes, working with our residents. So as you know, we infused Pioneer Network, the person-centered values and principles of Pioneer Network in there so that every individual understands and then lives that philosophy. And it's exactly what senior living sector has been asking us to ensure. The, you know, we've been asked to make sure that, that activity professionals are properly educated and certified to ensure person-centered engagement that increases quality of life and the satisfaction of their residents and their families. Because families, I think, you know, sometimes we, we uh, get so focused on we're here for the resident, we're not here for the family. However, the family's adjustment and their understanding and their support and still being a vital part of the plan of care for their loved one is something that, um, you know, we now we know in a post-COVID world what it's like when you can't see your loved one face to face, you can't hold them. So uh, I think having this opportunity and adjusting that curriculum to include the families much more than what we may have done in the past. Yeah, I think it's so true. I think that NCAP does have such an important mission. And what I have really appreciated, and you touched on this, um, with Peter coming on board and the whole board of directors of NCAP, is that willingness and desire to partner to ensure that we're all working together and that we're infusing, we're infusing different areas with the view of the activity professionals. We're infusing the activity professionals with different input and views as well. So that partnership piece, I think, is just huge right now. And I think the other thing that's been happening, and this was especially true during the pandemic as well, is NCAP is really elevated the role of activity professionals um, and, and their whole role, as you talked about with meaning, purpose, and engagement. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know that that's, that's a passion of yours as well. Absolutely. So, you know, NCAP still has on our website, we have all of our COVID resources that we have put together. And I think regardless whether in a post-pandemic world, especially as we're hitting some of these surges and we're, and we're 
navigating now the uh, the local health department rules, regulations of are you open, are you shut down, are you in outbreak? I think this is going to be a great resource for that. I think elevating the activity profession, uh, I'm really excited because we have we've heard what the industry has wanted and workforce development, getting this profession into a younger generation. As activity professionals, as, as much of healthcare in a senior management role, uh, we're aging ourselves. So we need to be able to get healthcare in front of a younger population. So we're really excited that we have a apprenticeship course and a standardized 90-hour curriculum that we're going to be launching in the fall. We engaged professionals, partnered, just like you said, partnered with professionals and developed a clinical and curriculum advisory committee that really guided the curriculum now. Um, this, uh, the, the MEPAP, which is the Modular Education Program for Activity Professionals, we've infused the pioneer principles as we talked about with person-centered care. We have all the latest, latest approaches from Dr. Um, Fazio or Sam Fazio from the Alzheimer's Association, Validation, Montessori. We've made sure that we've included CMS's priorities on dementia, behaviors, diversity, inclusion, cultural competency, as well as trauma-informed care. And we've based these requests from the sen senior living sector. Uh, we're introducing a curriculum and certification that specifically meets the needs of assisted living in an adult day sector, which is something that hasn't existed in a standardized nationwide format. And additionally, we're currently establishing partnerships with local, state, and national care communities to deliver our resources internally directly to their staff to create this community-wide culture of person-centered engagement. It's, I mean, it's, it's really amazing what you've been doing. And also, as you're talking about the MEPAP course, just how you have made it so relevant to what is going on today. You know, I think that is so important. Um, and I want everyone to check out the NCAP website, nccap.org, correct, Don? Yes, yes. Um, please check it out because there is, as you said, there are just great resources that you've left on there um, regarding COVID because so many of those resources are applicable as much today and will be applicable as much three years from now as they are right now. So I, I encourage people to check that out. Is there anything else, Don, that you wished I would have asked as we're wrapping up today? So, you know, I want to talk about just one other additional point. Article 16 of the United Nations Universal Declaration on Human Rights says this, the family is the natural and fundamental group unit of society and is entitled to the protection by society and state. And I wanna emphasize the desperate need of families caring for loved ones at home. And we know that aging in place is an absolute largest sector of care. And unfortunately, currently it has the least amount of resources. And if the projections and the budgets and the conversations that are happening on Capitol Hill, it looks like they're starting to see that, that there's going to be a, you know, a shift also to focus on supporting families. You know, and NCAP has stepped up to the plate. 
Uh, we've recognized this uh, a, a couple years ago that this was going to be the next phase of how do we care for this aging population that we live in. So we had created and have created an eight hour Montessori home engagement certification that focuses on the strengths and the knowledge and the skills using the person-centered engagement specifically for family members and also for those individuals that are working in the home care sector. So there's a lot of things going on at NCAP, a lot of exciting and find out more information on the website. But, you know, I do, I, 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 I'm energized with the fact that if we had to have lived through this pandemic, that it's really given us an opportunity to step back and evaluate what is most important to the people that we serve. And then how do we get there? And how do we make sure that all of our communities from whether it's a, a corporation owner to a nursing home administrator, to a housekeeper, to an activity professional, to a director of nursing has access to the information. And then how do we help them evolve their community to really be a person-centered care and, and change the philosophy of how they deliver that care? Yeah, that, that's so true. And I appreciate, Don, you bringing up the home care piece because I think, you're, I think that you're right. We, we've always known that people who are receiving care and support in their own traditional family homes are the largest sector of our older adult population. You know, it is much smaller, those people who are living in nursing homes, assisted living communities, and even senior living communities in general. And I think sometimes we become so focused on the world of residential care, because we know that there are a lot of people living there and it, it, it needs some help, you know, to, to make sure we concentrate on people themselves and help them to thrive in that setting. But I think that in this, in this new chapter that we're probably going to see for, for long-term services and supports, there's a large number of people, even larger possibly now that are going to desire to receive care and support in their own home. And we can't forget about them. We can't forget about their informal support system that is caring for them and the professional care partners who are caring and supporting them at home too. So that was a great thing to bring up. Thank you so much. And Absolutely. thank you overall for being here with us. Again, if you'd like to hear more about NCAP, the National Certification Council for Activity Professionals, visit their website at nccap. Org. And I'm also excited to tell you if you want to explore the future of engagement and find more meaning and purpose for the residents that you work with or for yourselves, please join Pioneer Network on September 22nd for our third symposium in our 2021 series, Envisioning the Future, Finding Meaning and Purpose. And Peter Illig from NCAP is going to provide some inspiration for that symposium as well. So thank you for mentioning him before, Don. Yeah. Just so you know, we have special rates for students and people who are retired, and we have a great option for organizations. For $1,000, you can register as many staff members, residents, family members, board members, if applicable, as you would like, and all will have their own access to the sessions on that day and also the sessions on demand. And continuing education credits are included in this rate if needed. So I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today and we invite you to listen to additional episodes of Listen, Learn, Explore. You can go to our events page at www.pioneernetwork.net 
or to the Pioneer Network Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter pages. And all of the symposium information will be there as well. Dawn, thank you once again for joining us today. And I look forward to our work together. Absolutely. Thank you, Penny.